Johnson. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. Brewers take two of three from the Cubs over the weekend. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you do. Everything else aside, that's in and of itself going to make it a pretty good weekend, right? Maybe blow out a tire on Saturday. Maybe your basement flooded with all the water. Doesn't matter, right? (laughs) Brewers take two or three from the Cubs. Uh, It's hard to have a bad weekend. I hope you did have a good weekend and enjoyed the Brewers' success. The Brewers have now moved to eight and one. Cubs to two and seven. Uh, They were two and six. They actually already played today. So the Cubs sit at two and seven compared to the Brewers' eight and one. Now, this weekend series, when we come down the stretch at the end of the season and we look back, it's not going to mean a whole lot. After today or I guess after yesterday, before tonight's game starts, the Brewers have played about 5% of their season. So it's it's barely nothing, right? Like, Like, the season has not really gotten underway yet. The thing is, these games against the Cubs, they feel a little bit different. They feel like they mean a little bit more. And maybe that's our fault as fans. Maybe as players, outside of the division rivalry and you're competing for for room in the playoffs with your division rivals, I, I, I don't know what the players think about it. I don't know if they feel any personal responsibility to take these games more seriously or or to win more of these games than they lose. I don't know. That's created by us, the fans. What I do know is the Brewers are only 0.05% of the way through the season. So when we talk about this series and we break this series down, let's try to do so in a way that that does not project an entire 162-game season onto this weekend series. Now, that being said, if the rest of the Brewers season goes like it did this weekend, uh... I think we're doing okay because the Brewers come out ahead. Uh, they win two of three. They move to Los Angeles tonight. That is Anaheim, uh, not the Dodgers, but the Angels. We'll talk about that soon enough. This is the Wisco Sports Show. Thanks for tuning in to WKTY. As it is every day. The Wisco Sports Show is presented by Play It Again Sports. I want to talk some Brewers today. We'll get to Bucks later on in the show. They didn't have a huge win. They didn't have a statement win against a rival. They did win this week. They played well this week. Uh, but it wasn't the win in of itself that impressed me. It's something larger that's been happening over the last two weeks. And it's not a player. Uh, it's not any any type of offense or type of play design. It's specifically Mike Budenholzer and the way that he's handled things. So that's coming up at 5.30. Bucks talk uh, is on the way because we're almost at the NBA playoffs, which is just ridiculous. We could be barely any farther away from the MLB playoffs. But still, I think there's things to take away from this series, even though, like I said... The Brewers are now only 5% of the way through their season. 608-796-2558 is the five-star telecom. Talking text line, you can find me there. I'd love to have a conversation today about the Brewers, about the Bucks. Hey, maybe you watched WWE last night. I'd love to hear from you, love to interact with listeners. I, I can do that on Twitter as well, at Keystroker Grant and at WKTY. You can find us all there. The first thing that I thought of when I started preparing for today's show, and it's kind of nice the way things timed out, Because the last time I talked to you, which was on Friday night, we were just about to start the series with the Cubs. And now, uh, as I'm hopping on today, that series has been wrapped up, right? So so we can kind of take a a holistic view on it. My biggest thing that I took away, other than just winning more games than you lost, you win two or three, obviously, you get a good feel of what is in your division. I, I can speak to this in... In the NFL, you can speak to this in the MLB. For, to some extent, you can speak on it in the NBA as well. You play your division teams more often. 
But there is 82 games, and you get a good taste of all the teams in the league, so I don't think it's necessarily pertinent to the NBA because you just play everyone, which isn't the case in the other leagues. You get a feel of the other teams in your division. For, let's go to the NFL, for an example. Like well, This past year, after playing the Bears a couple of times, after playing the Vikings a couple of times, look, we know the Bears have a good pass rush, right? They have nasty, athletic players coming around the edge, and they have big bodies who are very strong, very technically sound in the middle, and they're good at getting after the quarterback. How many times do we have to watch Khalil Mack or Akeem Hicks or Roquan Smith, right? It's just, it's something you know. You become very familiar with it the more that you see them. With the Vikings, I, you could take your pick of a lot of things. I, I think more so than anything, this year their wide receiver core stood out. All right, Packers got the Vikings this week. All right, well, what are they going to do about Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen? Because those two guys that, regardless of everything else is going on, they can take over a ball game, right? They can change the game, as can the Bears pass rush. When I... Think about the Chicago Cubs. I Offense isn't their problem. I don't look at the Cubs and think, oh man, if they could just scratch out a couple of runs, they'll be fine because their offense stinks, right? I look at the Cubs, and if it's a team that could just organize themselves in the pitching department, and I don't say improve, I don't say fix anything, if they could get organized, because I look at this Cubs starting rotation, and I see a lot of different pitchers in a lot of different places. Like, for example, yesterday, Kyle Hendricks who I like a lot as a pitcher. He seems to be cemented in his place. Cole Hamels, uh, two days ago, he seems to be cemented in his place for now. Obviously, he was a later season acquisition, and he's set to be a free agent at the end of this year. But then, you Darvish. And I, I was talking to a friend who's a Cubs fan today who works at, at CBS, WKBT. He said he's done on you Darvish. Like, I'm, I'm giving up. It's, it's a bust. It's a bad signing. It's a bad contract. And I have reserved myself to that conclusion, right? Now, that's a Cubs perspective. It, it, now, if I'm thinking about you, Darvish, you spend that much money, you're going to give them every chance you can. But they're, they're, if they could just organize, right? And then in the bullpen as well, if they could just organize, who fits in what role? Who does what well? Because the, the, the Cubs and their bullpen appeared to take a scattergun approach this weekend. And we'll talk more about both of these teams' bullpen because I think if there is a discussion to be had, uh, it is about the back end of both of these pitching staffs. If they could just get organized, if they could just get healthy, and they, and, they, and they know what they have, right? Because right now, they have some very expensive relievers, some of which are injured, like Brandon Morrow, and some of which just can't buy an out. And have done nothing but walk batters. And now they're calling up pitchers from AAA. They're calling up people uh, to, to help, right? They're getting a supplement from, from their farm system. So that that's appear to be the direction they're going now. The Cubs have talent. Some of it is injured. Some of it is disorganized. If they could just get that figured out, that's what I walked away with this weekend from. I think their offense is great. And that is despite Chris Bryant, who pitchers have appeared to figure out a little bit. And I don't think Cubs fans would deny that, by the way. I'm not trying to take shots at a, at a division rival. I'm just, I, they, they have figured out through the way that Chris Bryant swings a bat, that there's a spot in the zone to hit, right? Jason Hayward, except for this weekend, uh, has been very, very poor. But all that being said, the Cubs can still score runs. They won today, and they they blanked the Pirates. I believe they won 10-0. I'll check that. It was a lot. It was 9-0, 11-0, something in that ballpark. They can score runs. They need to get their pitching staff Organized because I do think they have the ammo. Like, like I said, they have a lot of high-priced relievers or, or guys who have a, a, a large reputation, like Brandon Morrow, like Tyler Chatwood. They just need to get organized. I think they have enough talent. I don't think the Brewers' bullpen is that much more talented or that much better than the Cubs. I, I think they just have the roles figured out a little bit better. I was also thinking, 
about this weekend series and, and pondering the question, and this is such a sports radio question. I'm not going to ask you to call in and give me an answer, but, but it's something we're going to continue to discuss. Was the, the the series that we just watched, the three games set over the weekend at Miller Park between the Cubs and the Brewers, was it a, a, a deeper example of bad pitching? Or was it a, a bigger example of really good offense? Because I think there were spots of brilliance from the Cubs offense this weekend. And I think there were spots of brilliance from the Brewers offense as well. But that being said, I, I the Cubs have got to organize their bullpen, organize their starting rotation. The Brewers need to get healthy. They need to organize a little bit as well. This weekend was a it was an ugly series for both pitching staffs. Like bullpen and starting pitching. Outside of Zach Davies and outside of Cole Hamels, there wasn't a starting pitcher who really stood out. Uh, and the Brewers finally got to Quintana. They hung eight runs on him. There's a lot of bad pitching. There was good offense too. I, I'm trying to figure out which is 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 more so the case. So let's continue to to expand on that. I want to talk about the Brewers and the Cubs and compare and contrast their bullpens because they, they they're in very similar situations. There's a lot of question marks. They don't know exactly uh, how they're going to handle the back end. But I think both teams have some arms. They have some players. They just need to get it figured out. That being said, I, I think they have different players in different positions. Brewers need to get healthy. The Cubs also need to get healthy, but there is some organization they need to figure out. I do think they need to, to tweak some some method and some methodology in the way they, they approach uh, the way they use their bullpen. So let's talk about the pens. I want to hear from you. On the five-star telecom talking text line as well, 608-796-2558. You can always reach me there. The Wisco Sports Show will be back in just a minute right here on WKTY. Wisco Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for hanging out. Hope you're having a good Monday. Hope you had a good weekend. And as I started the show, uh, look, a lot of things could have gone wrong for you this weekend. Maybe your your yard or your basement flooded. Maybe you blew out a tire driving home from church on Sunday. But let's be real. When the Brewers take two of three from the Cubs, it's a good weekend. Uh, that covers up for a lot of things. So we, we can enjoy that. The Brewers are now officially, mathematically, through 5% of their season. That's a very small number. But anytime the Brewers play the Cubs, it feels like it means just a little bit more. We talked last week about how even when the Cubs are playing bad and the Brewers are playing good, or vice versa, these two teams seemingly give each other a really good game. Very good pitching, typically. Uh, and, And this series, I guess, was that. The pitching wasn't tremendous, but the offense was. So it was kind of the same old story, but the Brewers were just better this weekend, uh, and they move uh, to only two losses on the year, not eight and one. I said eight and one when I uh, when I wrapped up uh, our last segment or when I started the show. Brewers are eight and two. So <laughs> sorry about that. Cubs and Brewers wrapping up their their weekend series, and I'm giving you false statistics. But uh, really, let's be real. Uh, what's new? Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Yeah, thanks for that. So Brewers two losses. Uh, The Cubs are struggling a little bit more. I want to talk specifically about the bullpens because I think both of these teams have their pitching staffs for better or worse figured out. There are going to be some growing pains with the Brewers, specifically with their younger starters. You saw Corbin Burns show some good things and some bad things. Same with Brandon Woodruff. Freddie Peralta, two starts in. We have a great start and we have a not so great start. So there's going to be some growing pains with those guys. But by and large, I think they are willing to live with that. And their starting rotation for the time being is going to be pretty set at least until Jimmy Nelson comes back or somebody starts pitching really poorly. 
I think this is going to be it for a while. Now, the Cubs, on the other hand, I, I'm not quite sure, but I can speak to both of these teams in terms of their bullpen because that's been the concern with the Brewers. How are they going to get outs? Outside of Josh Hader, how are they going to get outs? Uh, so let's talk about that. The, the Cubs situation, we talked about this last week a little bit, so some of these numbers are dated, but when we talked on Friday, this was before uh, the Cubs series, the Cubs Brewers series. Their team ERA was 6.75. Now, that went up given the fact uh, that they allowed 10 runs in one game. Uh, they allowed eight runs in the next. Uh, now, they did only allow four runs on Sunday, which was yesterday, but nonetheless, averaging more than six and three quarters runs, 6.75 for the team ERA. Uh, and it didn't help that Quintana gave up eight as a starting pitcher either. Now, they were averaging just over two base runners per inning and a lot of walks, specifically allowing walks to just short of 50% of all batters who opposed them. Their bullpen is the worst part. Now, up before Friday, right before the series started, the Cubs relievers had walked 17 batters in 17 innings of work. And you saw a little bit of that this weekend, their incapability at times to throw strikes. Uh, there was one uh, moment yesterday where I was watching and Eric Thames was squaring up against Tyler Chatwood. And Tyler Chatwood, everybody knows he struggled to throw strikes this year. He's been walking guys, right? And he's been a part of a bullpen that has blown leads in about 60% of their games. Like I said, leading up into that Brewers game. Now, I don't believe that the Cubs Brewer, the Cubs bullpen didn't blow any games. I don't think there were any lead changes in the games over the weekend. The Brewers jumped out to a, to a lead both on Sunday and both on, uh, and on Friday as well. Everybody knows they can't throw strikes. And Tyler Chatwood is a huge part of that. Eric Thames gets up there, takes a couple of pitches, and... All of a sudden, he's swinging at high heat. He's swinging at pitches out of the zone. I'm pulling my hair, and I'm thinking, Eric, what the hell are you doing? This guy can't hit the broad side of a barn, and you're out here bailing him out. The Cubs bullpen can't throw strikes, and outside of hitters like Eric Thames and maybe Orlando Arcio when he's struggling, uh, they're not very good at, at teasing swings out of the strike zone either. We just didn't see it a whole lot this weekend, like I said, maybe outside of Eric Thames. And, and Orlando Arcio when he's slumping, he had a great weekend, however, I don't know what the Cubs do moving forward. Now, they've reached into their farm system for some support uh, and for some younger arms that are hopefully going to supplement the bullpen a little bit. Now, the more that I read about the Cubs minor league system is it is slightly depleted. And as a, as a good farm system should, after a couple of years of trying to contend, those minor league pitchers, those minor league players aren't going to do you any good in September and October and, 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 and I guess not even into November. But you hate to be in the postseason having a need on your team, knowing that you had the ammunition down in your farm system to go and address that need. So I'm not faulting the Cubs for having a slightly depleted farm system, but for all that I know, it's not like they got studs waiting in AAA right now, at least on the pitching side of the ball. The fact that you're reaching into your farm system in the first two weeks of the of, of the season might be a, a sign of confidence in your young pitchers, because we've seen that from the Brewers, right? Sometimes organizations just have more confidence in their own players than the outside world, and that's fine. Maybe it's it's a it's just trying to try something new, start throwing things at the wall until it sticks, right? Maybe it's that sort of strategy. But for a team with a payroll as high as the Cubs have, uh, and it is one of the largest, if not the largest, in the league, they have a two hundred two hundred million plus payroll, the highest in the NL. That's right, not in all of the league, but in the National League. You don't necessarily want to be reaching into your farm system not to help with injuries, although there are some of those in the Cubs bullpen. Not to help with, uh, with like, say a pitcher goes on the paternity leave. Yeah, at times you're going to have to reach in. It's a long season. 
But less than 10 games in, you don't exactly want to go scrapping into your farm system to try to help your bullpen. That's exactly what they're doing. Now, the Brewers situation is a little bit different. They're coming off an unprecedented year in terms of bullpen success. And that was the perfect storm. We talked about that last week as well. How, yeah, Hayter had a career year and Jeffers had a career year and Knebel had a career year to the point where he was nearly unhittable uh, post-All-Star break, especially right up until the very end in the postseason. But they also had two great arms in Brandon Woodruff and specifically in Corbin Burns, who had no place in the rotation, but they had a place in the bullpen, in middle relief, and in times where they needed an extra uh, pitcher to get through the sixth or the fifth. Uh, if a starter was really struggling. The, the Brewers had luxuries in their bullpen last year that, that have been unprecedented on any team that I've ever seen. And they are just trying to bounce back after a year where Jeremy Jeffers gets hurt, Corey Knable gets hurt, and Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff both move into the rotation. Now, when Jeremy Jeffers comes back, I think that's going to be a big key because I, I truly do think that Jeremy Jeffers will go back to his role closing games if he is pitching near or at the level he was last year. Because I think it makes things a little bit easier. You, you saw... Yesterday, specifically, because that was really the only close ball game where you were even considering using Josh Hader this weekend, which puts the Brewers in a unique position to go that long. Josh Hader hadn't pitched since Tuesday. Comes in yesterday at the end of the seventh and closes out the game. And the whole story throughout the entire game was, how do you get to the seventh or the eighth? How do you get to the eighth so we can bring in Josh Hader to close this thing down? And I think it it, it creates this awkward dynamic of one good pitcher in the bullpen, which is typically your closer, But Josh Hader has the capability to do a little bit more. I think when Jeremy Jeffers comes back, they basically plug him into the ninth inning and they shorten the game by one inning. Now Craig Houts only has to find a way to get through eight innings because you know Jeremy Jeffers has the ninth. And that's not the case right now with Josh Hader because Hader could come in in the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth. He could get a four-out save, a six-out save. Jeremy Jeffers removes one of those question marks and basically gives Craig Council, you got to get through what would be 24 outs. And I think he slides back into that role. But who else? And that's assuming Jeremy Jeffers comes back and pitches well, because this weekend did give me concern about the Brewers' bullpen. We talked last week, we've been talking all season long so far about how, yeah, I don't think the Brewers' bullpen is as good as last year, but it would be really tough to follow that up, right? This weekend gave me just a little bit more concern, because I I think there are some guys like Alex Claudio or Wilson, who I thought maybe could be players, and, and they still could be. But they struggle at times, especially to throw strikes, which always worries me. I, I hate relievers who, who walk guys. It creates a whole mess. It creates all sorts of issues that are just avoidable if you can throw strikes and you can manage your, your pitches and throw them all for strikes. This weekend gave me a little bit of concern about the pan, or the Brewers' bullpen. And the interesting dynamic is Craig, Craig Kimball's still out there. And he would be tremendous on either the Brewers or the Cubs because both need a little bit of a shot in the arm in terms of their bullpen. Outside of Josh Hader right now, there, there's not... Another guy. Yesterday, how many times did Brian Anderson or, or Bob Euchre, if, if you were listening on KTY, which I was a, a little bit throughout the day when I was driving around, who do you trust outside of Josh Hader? Right? How, how do you get to the eighth so you can close with Josh Hader? Because he's so fresh, we figured Hader was probably going to pitch more than one inning if it would be necessary yesterday. Who can you trust outside of Josh Hader? Well, nobody. But then again, last year, who did you trust outside of Josh Hader? Because Corey Knable got hurt. Jeremy Jeffers, we didn't know he would turn into the, the 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 pitching machine that he was for most of the year. And we didn't really know how Josh good Josh Hader was going to be either. So last April, if you would have asked uh, that obnoxious sports radio question, well, who do you trust other than Josh Hader? Well, nobody. It's April. 
We don't have enough information on a lot of these guys. So I, I'm going to downplay that side of it, but I do think the Brewers need more arms because I don't want to see Junior Guerra warming up to possibly be the guy to come in and save the day if Hayter struggles in the ninth. Junior Guerra is the guy I want coming in in the sixth, the seventh, maybe, or hell, in the fourth, alongside Chase Anderson if Shasin tweaks a hammy running the baseline and, and, and needs to take the rest of the game off. Or Zach Davies doesn't have it today and he's getting shelled. That's what Junior Guerra is for. That's what Chase Anderson's for. Not for coming in and saving Josh Hader's ass in the ninth inning. God, no. No, 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 no. 608-796-258 is the five-star telecom talk and text line. Tom says, check the Brewers record, not eight and one. Thank you. I corrected myself. Andrew says, how about Josh Hader's three innings of shutdown pitching? Yes, I agree. Brewers fans should be grateful we have such a stud in the pen. I feel he was ultimately the difference in the series. Without Hader pitching that we lost yesterday, the Cubs could have very well taken the series. Well, it's a three-inning difference, Andrew. The, the Brewers had that guy to shut down the last three innings, and, and maybe the Cubs wouldn't if it would have been flipped around. That's why you like to get a good lead with the staff uh, that the Brewers have had and the management style that Craig Council has had. Here's another thing. People have been talking about the usage of Josh Hader, and I'm glad you brought this up, Andrew, because this is something I was thinking about earlier today. I would love to hear the conversations between Craig Council and Josh Hader and his and, and his pitching coach and his bullpen coach, all that. Josh Hader and his bubble of people and Craig Council. Because I, I want to know if Craig Council's asking questions like this. I want to know if Craig Council goes to Josh and says, would you rather pitch one inning Saturday, one inning Sunday, and get Monday off? Or would you rather do what they did yesterday? There was a stretch where they didn't use him, and they let him go three. Now, Josh Hader, I cannot imagine, will pitch tonight. He might not pitch tomorrow night either after that three-inning stretch. What is better for Josh Hader? What is more exhausting for Josh Hader? Pitching a lot of small outings, or every once in a while, really carrying the load for this team? Because Josh Hader says, man, just doing one inning a night... Uh, three out of four days, it kills my arm. I, I need extended periods of rest. Now, if you're going to use me, use me. Because I'm going to be sore anyways, but I need a little bit more time to recover. You, you, you understand? What is the dynamic and what is the best way to use Josh Hader and to keep him fresh? Because yesterday, people were saying, man, Josh Hader's getting used a lot. Three innings today? Well, yeah, he hadn't pitched since Tuesday. Maybe Hader's okay with going extended innings as long as he has that extra time to rest. I, I don't know. I, I want. I, I wish I was a fly on the wall for that dynamic between Craig Council and the bullpen staff and Josh Hader and the best way to use him. Because let's be real, out of five days, Josh Hader tops could probably pitch, pitch three times, assuming it was an inning at time, so three innings. Well, Josh Hader had about five days off, and he still only pitched three innings. It was on Sunday. Same amount in innings over the same amount of time, but where is the rest? Where's the relaxation? Where's the day off? How do we maximize Josh Hader? That's something I want to follow because if we see a lot more two, three innings from Josh Hader, those longer outings with more rest, maybe Hader doesn't mind pitching more innings as long as he gets that time. And that's going to be up to him and Craig Council to manage uh, so the ball club and the, and the Brewers can get the most usage and the most effective usage out of Josh Hader. Because like I said, right now, it's Josh Hader and a bunch of guys. That could change because it's only April. It changed last year, certainly, but that's where we sit right now. And ultimately, the Brewers need to win tonight. Uh, it's it's one day at a time, right? They're uh, they're in Anaheim tonight. You can hear that game over on WIZM. Uh, first pitch is at nine ten. I know, right? Uh, pre-game at about eight forty, uh, a half hour of pre-game because the national championship, Virginia and Texas Tech, is going to be right here on WK2I. That pre-game gets underway at six thirty. So that's your night on WK2I. The Brewers, like I said, have to view the season through uh, through Josh Hader in in a big picture because they need him fresh all year, as fresh as you can be. 
and hopefully for a playoff run as well. But you got to win tonight. You got to win Tuesday. You got to win Wednesday. How do you use Josh Hader so you can kind of accomplish both goals? That's something we're going to have to follow. We've all been following the Bucks. The Bucks following here on WK2 Iron Lacrosse has been awesome this season. It's been so much fun. Now, they beat the Hawks yesterday. That game, wins and loss-wise, means basically nothing. They've already clinched the one seed. They got to 60 games or 60 wins. Mike Budenholzer has been really impressing me, and this is one of the age-old problems, one of the age-old debates in sports, is when you clinch, when your seating is locked up, how do you handle it? Do you rest, guys? Do you want to keep the intensity? Every situation is different. I think Mike Budenholzer's done a tremendous job, and I want to talk about that. Uh, not, not talking X's nose. We're not talking box scores. I want to talk Mike Budenholzer and the way that he's handled this Bucks team because it's an interesting situation. Let's keep that going. Coming up next, this is the Wisco Sports Show presented by Play It Again Sports right here on WKTY. This is the Wisco Sports Show presented by Played Again Sports. You're listening to WK2. I'm your host, Grant Bills. I hope you're having a good one. Thanks for hanging out. We've been talking brewers, and why not? Beat the Cubs two out of three games, and like I said, it'll make for a good weekend no matter what else is going on when the brewers take two of three, and you get time to chill out and watch an afternoon game. I'm so glad baseball's back. 608-796-2558 is the five-star telecom talking text line, and you can join me there. I want to move to Bucks, and it's been tough to come up with Bucks topics because I can't just hop on here and say, Bucks beat the Hawks last night, read you the box score, maybe play a soundbite, read an interview. That stinks. You can read that online, and you should read that online at WK2iSports.com. You can find all of our content there. That's That's boring. We're not learning anything. We're not discussing anything new. It's been difficult to come up with Bucks topics because they just keep winning. And even when they do beat a team like Philadelphia, which is a rivalry game, we, we, we talk about it, we celebrate it, but it's what we've come to expect. And don't get me wrong, I love that. I'll take that over, over a, a struggling team like maybe the Bucks were last year. Well, should they fire Jason Kidd? What do they do? It's a big offseason coming up. No, I, I'll take this every day of the week. But it's been difficult to come up with interesting conversations because we've just been able to kick back and enjoy. Just kick back and enjoy the ride. Well, the Bucks beat the Hawks yesterday, 115 to 107. We talked last Friday, and I remember this very well because we were getting ready for the Sixers game. Uh, we were getting ready for Bucks uh, Philadelphia. And I said before that game, I said there's no good outcome. I expected no good outcome from that game because either the Bucks go really hard and they win that game and they blow the Sixers away, and the rest of the world looks at Milwaukee and says, they're just trying harder than everyone else. The Sixers want to get rested. They want to get healthy before the playoffs. They, they're comfortable playing from whatever seed they end up in. Come on. The Bucks are insecure. They're just a regular season team. So that was one outcome. And then the other outcome, fair or unfair, I would say unfair, the Bucks lose, and it's Bucks can't win this time of year. April's here. The game has slowed down. They just don't have enough superstars. They don't have enough star power. They don't have the strength to run with Philadelphia and play with them in the half court when the game slows down. There was no good outcome for me. It's almost as if that is the situation for the rest of the year for the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, they only have one game left against Oklahoma City before they look to get the playoffs underway. And they got the one seed all wrapped up. They're going to be the one seed. They're going to have home court advantage not only through the Eastern Conference playoffs, but should they make the NBA Finals as well. So yesterday, playing Atlanta at the Pfizer Forum, and by, by the way, the Hawks didn't play their two best players. I guess best is debatable. Their two young, promising stars in John Collins and Trey Young didn't play yesterday. 
you can see the writing on the wall, especially with this game being in Milwaukee. Now, the, here's the interesting thing. Mike Budenholzer's got a lot to manage right now because the Bucs have already locked up the one seed. They're dealing with injuries, which is another thing on Coach Budenholzer's plate. And oh yeah, by the way, Giannis is also neck and neck with James Harden in an MVP race. And I know everybody says the MVP doesn't matter. I know Giannis only wants to win in the playoffs. Everybody wants to win in the playoffs. But that's something you got to keep in mind. That's in the back of your mind. No matter what you say to the media, you say all the right things, but that, that exists. That's there, right? Budenholzer's got to juggle a lot right now. And last night was just an example of how Budenholzer is seemingly making it all work. The Bucs won 115-107, to 107, and that did not matter. The Bucs could have lost, and, and it would have been clunky. It, it would have been ugly. But it, in the grand scheme of things, wouldn't have really mattered. Here's what mattered, and here is what is so impressive to me. Okay, And I'm not just here to run down the box score because I got nothing else to talk about. This is very meaningful. Giannis had 30 points. Chris Middleton had 21. Eric Bledsoe only had 8. He didn't shoot a whole lot. Bledsoe had 8. Once again, he didn't shoot a whole lot either. He didn't hit a 3. He was 0 for 5, but only 9 shots total. Not a miserable night. Here's the thing. Let's focus on Chris Middleton and and Giannis for a sec with 30 and 21. Giannis had 30 points, 3 blocks, 9 rebounds, 3 assists, and a steal. And you thought, wow, just another MVP performance from Giannis. Right, he, he, he is taking no prisoners. He wants to win every game. And he doesn't care if they've clinched the one seed. He doesn't care if they're playing Atlanta or if they're playing Houston or they're playing Golden State. He does not care, which might be true. Giannis only played 25 minutes last night. Chris Middleton, 25. Brooke Lopez, 24. Bledsoe, 24. Now, the only the other starter, who who I still really don't consider a starter, he is a role player who's who's playing in a starter role due to injury. Sterling Brown played 27, which still isn't that much. How Mike Budenholzer has been able to manage the minutes of these players, keeping them all at or under 25 last night for their four main starters, and Sterling Brown just a little bit over, still only 27 minutes, which is not hefty at all. And A, be able to win the game, which is the goal of every game, right? 115-107. To keep those minutes low, like I said, and to, let's be real, develop Sterling Brown in, in, and build his confidence because of injury, because that's injury is something that Budenholzer has to manage on his plate. Oh yeah, by the way, yeah, I said 30 points. So Giannis was able to, to keep making his case for MVP last night. Budenholzer accomplished it all last night. It, it, was, it was, he pulled every string. He did exactly everything the way you would want it to transpire. Had Yes, of course you always want the Bucs to win, but you don't want to wear them out. You, you, you want to stay healthy. You want Giannis to continue to make his MVP race. You want all those things to happen. Well, those things did happen last night. 25 minutes apiece or less for all of their starting players. This topic for me is so difficult to grasp because in my lifetime, we probably have the most salient example of all when it comes to avoiding complacency or being unable to avoid complacency at the end of the year. Take you back to 2011, the 2010, 2011 Green Bay Packers, right? They go 15 and one and they rest their starters in week 17. And I, and I had to go back and just get everything in the right order again because it's been a while. And I remember this season. I don't remember the specifics of the week in and week out, right? So so remember, up and in going into week 15, the Packers were were 13-0. They play Kansas City and they lose. And then they win the last two weeks. And on December 25th, on Christmas, they clinch the number one seed in home field advantage against the Chicago Bears. On December 25th, they had the one seed locked up. So a week later, on New Year's Day, they played Detroit. They rest most, if not all, of their their key pieces, right? Well, they still win 45-41, which is the Matt Flynn game, right? 
But Aaron Rodgers didn't play any meaningful football, didn't play football at all. Then they have a bye week, and then they play again on January 15th. So they had 14 days off. Really, more than that, if you want to go back to the Chicago Bears game, it was more like three weeks off for some of their most important players. What do they do? They got ran by the Giants, 37-20. to 20, At home. As possibly the, one of the best teams we've seen in the last 10, 15 years, right? And what's crazy about that, you, you dig even deeper? Well, think about this. So the Packers had a, a sense of urgency because up until the point where they lost to Kansas City, they were probably chasing that 16-0 season. Now, they were probably doing so in a way where, well, we've got to focus on this game, the game in front of us, right? Nobody was preaching in the locker room. we got to go get that undefeated record, but that's in the back of their mind, right? Well, December 11th, week 14, they beat the Raiders 46-16. It was not close, and it was at home. There was no urgency there. There was no need for urgency there. They were very comfortable, very loose, very fun. December 11th, okay? That's when the intensity probably dropped off a little bit. And then they lose to the Chiefs in an ugly game, and you're always allowed an ugly game. But, man, after they lost to the Chiefs, some of that motivation probably dropped down a little bit. Undefeated season's no longer in the cards, right? So you probably take your foot off the gas a little bit. And then you beat the Bears next week by 14 at home. That was probably a game they weren't too worried about. And they clinched a number one seed. So once that was done, you really start to lose some intensity. And then against the Lions, you rest everyone. And then you have a wild card week off. You have that first round bye. So let's be real. The Packers really didn't have an intense, really motivated moment from December 11th until they actually had to win against the Giants on January 15th. That's more than a month. Now, we, we can, hindsight's twenty twenty. You can go back and, and spin it different ways and, and say, well, if they would have done this, would have done that. that. That's not the point. My point is, these situations are really difficult to manage because you can't really win. Even if you beat Kansas City and you go undefeated, resting your starters against Detroit, is that the right play? Well, if one of them gets hurt, it's a really bad look. Otherwise, you'd probably like to have them out there. You don't want them to get stale. You don't want them to get complacent. And then that first round buy stacked on top of it, that's just another week off. What I like about Mike Budenholzer, and this is the nature of basketball versus football, right? Because Budenholzer can play Giannis for 10 minutes. He can play him for 48 Aaron Rodgers is out there when the offense is out there. Clay Matthews is out there when the defense is out there. At least for the most part. Basketball is a little bit different. What I like about what Coach Budenholzer has done, and this is risky as well, right? Because putting your star players out there at all, even if it is only for 25 minutes, carries some risk. What I like about Mike Budenholzer and, and what I hope pays off, and we see it pay off in the playoffs, and the fact that the Bucs don't have a crazy difficult first-round opponent anyways, benefits them a little bit. I like that these guys have been on the court together, playing together. It could be easy to rotate. All right, Giannis is getting the night off. Middleton's getting the night off. Now Lopez is getting the night off. But is that really what you want? You don't want the Bucs hitting the floor in round one of the playoffs, playing together as a unit for the first time in, in, in days or weeks. Now, once again, the NBA is a little bit different because let's be real, I don't think there is a Bucs fan who has a great amount of concern about the first round. So you can kind of get the engine cranked up try to shake out the cobwebs in round one because it's a seven-game series. The NFL, you don't have that luxury. All I'm saying is 2011 is a great example of how the Packers probably went from December 11th all the way to January 15th before they really, really had an intense moment. And they didn't respond well. They lost to the Giants. Who, yeah, got hot and won the Super Bowl. But the Packers were the better team. That team was incredible. Mike Budenholzer is doing... It. In my opinion, you don't have to agree. Maybe you think Giannis should have been sat down last week or he should get a stretch of games off. In my opinion, 
taking a look at history, even if it is in another sport, and comparing it and looking at the minutes and, and factoring everything in from health and injuries to depth to, to Giannis's MVP case. It's a lot of moving parts. I think Mike Budenholzer has done just about as good a job as you can do managing all of that because his plate is really full. Our plate is extremely full tonight. Brewers at 9-10 on WIZM. And the national championship game is going to be right here. I don't want to talk about the national championship game because let's be real. I'm not an expert on Texas Tech. You're not an expert on Virginia. We're not going to cover the game. We've been watching, but but these aren't our teams. I don't want to talk about the game. I want to talk about college basketball. I want to talk about the NBA playoffs, the NFL, NHL playoffs, because this week, a lot of things are getting fired up. It's an interesting comparison. I was thinking about this earlier today. I want to share that with you. When we uh, when we wrap up the Wisco Sports Show, of course, play, presented by Played Against Sports right here on WKTY. <laughs> Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show, presented by Played Against Sports. You're listening to WKTY with me, your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for hanging out. We've covered a lot of ground today. Tonight's busy. Brewers and Angels are over on WIZM, as you just heard our uh, friend of the show, Zach Heilprin, say. First pitch is set for 9.07. I don't know why the hell they have to do that, but whatever. Uh, so pregame is 8.40 over on WIZM, our sister station, 92.3 FM. And 14:10 a.m. Now over here we'll have the national championship game, which is good uh, because well we have more than one thing going on. I want to talk about the national championship game uh, specifically though, and maybe this is a me thing. Maybe this doesn't apply to everyone. I, I'm, I'm a sports fan. I enjoy the Packers. I enjoy the Brewers, Bucks, Badgers, all that sort of thing. But but I like watching casually the the NFL. I like casually watching the NBA or even baseball if I'm in a weird mood. There, there's never really a time where I'm thinking. What college basketball game is on tonight? It's it's not really my go-to thing, unless there's a Duke-UNC game, right? The Badgers are playing, like I said, or there's a can't-miss player, or there's a Marquette game. I, I'm not just tuning in to watch Illinois play Indiana. I mean, this is not really my thing. I am fascinated as a sports fan how sports fans interact differently with different leagues, especially through sports radio or television. I, I think it's very interesting to compare and contrast and this week, a lot of things are coming together, and it's a good moment to do that. So before the we step aside and the national championship pregame gets underway here in about a half hour, you got to keep in mind the NBA playoffs are set to begin in less than a week. The NHL play the NHL playoffs. I was told by a friend earlier today start on Wednesday. Uh, I'm going to take him at his word on live radio, which probably isn't wise, but I would imagine that's correct that the NFL or the NHL playoffs begin on Wednesday. I'm sorry if that's wrong. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. That's always a good point, always a good reminder. But we have a lot going on in one week: college basketball wrapping up, uh, and the postseason of two other leagues beginning. Of course, while the regular season of, of Major League Baseball is still going on, the differences between college basketball and the NBA are, are obviously massive. It's the same sport, and, and and they are different. We talk about that all the time, but. The NHL, to some extent, is is very similar in this. Maybe I've finally discovered why I why I don't like college basketball. When, when I think, and especially with this national championship game, this national championship game is very system-oriented. It's very school-oriented, right? What's all the talk been about this week? It hasn't been about one particular player. Yeah, I, I know... Uh, I, I know Kyle Guy hit those three free throws. That's really the only reason I know about him, other than just sitting in here and listening to, say, the Jim Rome show during the afternoon or Dan Patrick in the morning. I'm, I'm not watching that game. I'm not familiar with him. What do we hear about? We hear about Virginia's slow pace of play and, and, and Bennett ball. We hear about Texas Tech. All I can hear about is their defense. 
Well, are they just swarm teams? And, and, and that's fine. I'm not discounting that at all. The conversation is not based around one player. It's not based around uh, even a coach necessarily. It's a system. It's a bigger overarching picture. Who are the biggest names in the, in the NCAA tournament this year? Probably Zion Williamson and John Morant. John Morant was out after one round, and the first round was brilliant. He won one game, but after that he was done. Zion Williamson, they could have gotten bounced in the third round or the second round. Now, they were bounced nonetheless before the Final Four, but we're not talking about Zion Williamson right now. We're not talking about John Morant. We're, we're talking about the slow system of Virginia, and we're talking about the swarming defense of Texas Tech. The NBA could not be different. It's all-star oriented. It's only about the players. Who's the coach of the Denver Nuggets? Do you know? What about the Houston Rockets? You're a casual fan. Do you know? I'm sure our hardcore NBA fans will know. What about the, the, the Orlando Magic? But everybody knows Tony Bennett. Right? It's all about the players. It's about the stars. The Sixers, for I believe the talent that they have on that team, have massively underachieved this year. But nobody cares. Because everybody says, Philly's got the star power. Philly will be fine. Boston's got the star power. They will be fine. It's all about stars. In college basketball, it's single elimination games. It's madness. Anything can happen. The most entertaining part of basketball, college basketball, is often not the players or the teams themselves, but the madness that surrounds it. The buzzer beaters. The, the wacky plays at the end. The meltdown of another team or the wild comeback of a different team. It's not about the player. Nobody remembers. Like, earlier this year, uh, was it New Mexico State and Utah? I don't even remember. But the game went to overtime. It was a wild finish. And I was watching it in here the first weekend. I don't remember any players. I don't remember the coaches. I can't even remember the schools, but I remember the game. It's about the madness. The NBA couldn't be more different. It's a seven-game series starting in the first round. You don't have very many upsets. The biggest upset in NBA playoff recent history, outside of maybe the Thunder and the Jazz last year, but that wasn't hard to see coming, maybe was... The Dallas Mavericks over the LeBron James Heat in 2011. And you know what? The Mavericks had Dirk Nowitzki. They had Jason Kidd and Jason Terry. That was a good, that was a hell of a team. And we talk about like that was the biggest collapse by LeBron James in the history of the NBA. Stars win games, right? There's no upsets. The better team is going to win because it's seven games. Some people like that. Some people don't. But... I would have to imagine if the organizers of college basketball were to have to drive, or I should just say the NCAA, would have to draw up their perfect national championship game, probably wouldn't be Texas Tech, maybe Virginia, because it's an interesting redemption story. You'd want Zion Williamson, you'd want John Morant, you'd want superstar coaches and superstar players. It's just not what it's about. And I think it's really interesting, and, and maybe I'm just nerding out, maybe I am the only one who think it's, thinks it's interesting. That college basketball is wrapping up tonight, and we're going to have... Uh, a night and day difference starting this weekend with the NBA playoffs. I can't wait because I prefer the NBA playoffs, but maybe that's something we'll have to talk about down the line. Yo, Leisha Steen starting for the Brewers tonight. That game over on WIZM. He's won his first two starts. 13 consecutive starts of three earned runs or less. Like I said, Shasin's not going to go eight shutout innings, but he's often going to need you and get you in a place to win. So Brewers on Wisdom, national championship right here where you're listening. That gets underway in about a half hour. Virginia and Texas Tech, enjoy. Whether you're an NBA or a college fan, I'll be back tomorrow. Same time, same place. Talk to you then. Bye.